Thank you, Pastor Chase. Well, my name is Jason Hatch, and I'm just simply here to absorb your Christmas energy. Um, we are the Energy City. You are the Energy Gospel-Centered Missional Family, so I feel it already. Uh, so excited to be here. Um, thanks, Chase, for welcoming. And uh, again, if you're brand new, you're walking into week three of about a four-week sermon series, uh, walking through what we call Advent. Uh, that's a, a Christian tradition that churches have been doing for hundreds of years. Uh, and I ran across something this morning that I thought would be a good kind of an introduction to explain just for a minute uh, what Advent is and what we're doing uh, so I've talked a lot uh, over the years and quoted uh, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was a pastor and a theologian in Germany in the 30s and would eventually be uh, imprisoned for preaching the gospel and uh, preaching against uh, Hitler and some, uh, some wicked things taking place, obviously, in the government there. Uh, but inside of a prison cell, he wrote a book called Life Together, talking about community. Uh, and he wrote something in that book that I read this morning um, that I think is just so interesting. So uh, from a prison cell, very much like uh, Paul would have been when, uh, when he's writing the book that we're about to read a portion of this morning. He, he's in a prison cell for the sake of Christ, and he says this. He says, life in a prison cell may be compared to Advent. He says, one waits, one hopes, one does this, one does that, or the other. Things that are really of no consequence because the door is shut and it can only be opened from the outside. There's something really interesting that caught my, my heart and my attention this morning, that that's what Advent was for uh, hundreds of years before, like B.C., before Jesus, before Christmas, before Bethlehem, um, that God's people that uh, knew and believed the promises of the Old Testament were leaning into that and hoping and praying and longing for something that was outside of their control, and then lo and behold, God did exactly what he said he would do, and he sent Jesus into the world, uh, and, and with Jesus came uh, a, a sense of peace and hope and joy and love, and those are the four things that we spend a lot of time in this season talking about uh, and meditating on, um, and so a, a lot of what they were leaning into ha had taken place and had happened, but for us, as New Testament Christians, we're kind of between the first advent and the second advent, right? Like, we can look back and see that Jesus, in fact, did come and bring hope and peace and joy and love, but there is a sense in which we're still leaning forward uh, for the consummation of all things when Jesus comes back to fully realize those. And so there's, as a New Testament Christian, uh, there's a sense of looking back and being grateful for what we have in Christ, but there still is this sense of leaning forward, uh, expecting something, as Bonhoeffer says, um, that can only happen, only be done from the outside. Uh, and so this, uh, this week, uh, we are looking at and talking about love. Uh, in 2006-ish, right around January uh, of 2006, I had just met uh, Hannah Harper a couple months before that, uh, and I was sitting in my apartment in Dallas one time and really just kind of uh, overwhelmed with this, uh, this uh, feeling and decision of love where I realized, oh my goodness, uh, I love her, and if you don't know, that is now Hannah Hatch. It's not a different Hannah. Uh, and so I remember sitting there and just kind of like the, 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 this, this love that was in my soul, in my heart, uh, would then over the course of the next few weeks or months cause me to do a lot of things, a lot of uh, very expensive things. Can I get an amen? Hey, that my love for her, my, my 
feelings and affections and devotion to her that I had not verbalized yet uh, had caused me to start doing some things, start planning, start working some extra hours, start uh, trying to save some money, start buying a ring, start buying a house, start doing all these things. Uh, but everything around uh, all my actions was driven by this love that was in my heart, right? And then that would lead to eventually a wedding, and then the wedding would lead to hopefully a long, long life where we get to love each other. Um, and that's really the, the story of Christmas, that in some sense, uh, God was uh, sitting, standing, you know, I don't know, we have to give a little bit of creative license here, but he was in, in heaven filled with this sense of love for the world for people, and that love that he had would drive him to do some things, um, to start planning some things, to start orchestrating all of the things that would have to take place for Jesus to enter the world in what Paul says in Galatians, the, the absolute perfect time when the fullness of time had come. But everything about that was driven by this love that already existed in God's heart. And so what we're looking at today is love, and I want to try to convince you for a minute just how important love is, because it is important, and I don't know that I have to uh, spend a lot of time convincing you why this is worthy of our time talking about, uh, but just for, just for funsies, I will anyway. Uh, probably the most um, famous verse in the Bible, at least in our context uh, over the last many, many years, is, is John 3.16. And John 3.16 has just captured the heart and the attention uh, of so many people around the world. And what's the, what's the main thrust of that, uh, that verse? It says, for God so, I, I, I was feeling early on the energy, um, the Christmas energy is waning. Let, let's get it back. For God so, no, you can do better. For God so. Like the most famous verse out of all the thousand verses in the Bible, we, we, we love this verse and this truth that says, because God so loved, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's Advent. That's Christmas. What was behind Christmas? The, the love of God, the love that God had. Most famous verse, most famous song. And I don't know if, honestly, this is true. I think this is probably uh, the most famous song, uh, at least in the United States over the last many decades. But what is it? Jesus loves me. <laughs> Jesus loves me. What a simple, simple song. What, a, what an incredibly simple truth. How, how unbelievably profound is it um, that what the most famous song is about Jesus' love for me? What about 1 Corinthians when Paul says this? Uh, it will be on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels... Paul says, listen, if you can communicate with everybody on the planet, also angels, what, what an incredible gift that would be. But if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I'm not, he, he's not talking about when Strebeck is playing the drums and it sounds nice and lovely. He's talking about when somebody gives your six-year-old a drum kit for Christmas, right? And 6.30 a.m. the next morning, they wake up just banging. It's like, that, that might be a joyful sound, but it is not pleasant, right? Like he's saying, if you have, if you have the ability to speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, it's just a horrible, annoying sound. He says, if I have prophetic powers, how many of you would like prophetic powers, would like to see the future? 
Of course. Who wouldn't want to know what's going to happen and be able to, uh, to speak that to someone else? He's like, if you have prophetic powers and you understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and if you have all faith so as to remove mountains, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. That's a, that's a really bold thing to say. He's trying to convince us how important love actually is. He says, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. In verse 13, he says, but now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. The greatest of these is love. I don't have time to get into this this morning, but we've actually talked about the last few weeks. Why is love the most important? It's because love is the most permanent. Uh, faith at some point for the believer turns into sight uh, where we don't have to trust in what we don't see because we see Jesus one day in glory. Uh, hope is, is temporary. It has a shelf life because I don't, I don't hope for a wife. Why? Because I have one. Uh, our hope will one day turn to sight and experience. So Paul says the greatest of these things is love. What about the greatest commandment? This is Matthew 22. Uh, if you remember, uh, a teacher, uh, a lawyer, comes up to Jesus one day and he says this. Uh, he poses this question in Matthew 22. He says, "Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? What is the most important, greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament?" And if you rem remember this story, uh, he's not asking for information's sake. He's asking, trying to, uh, trying to trip Jesus up and to corner him in a place that gets him in trouble. Uh, but Jesus, as he does so um, creatively and um, wisely, he answers and he says this. He said to him, you and, and Jesus is summing up hundreds of commands that God gives his people in the Old Testament to what is the single most important thing to do. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And then he goes a step further and he says, listen, I'll sum it up and I'll give you a second one. That's gonna, the first and the second is going to encompass everything. The second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Most famous verse, my fa most famous song. Paul says, if you don't have this, then you're, you're nothing. Jesus says, this is the greatest command. Uh, humans just have this. Uh, when, when we arrive on the scene, when a human being is born, uh, we begin this journey to be loved. It's such an innate need inside of humans that God has put there that we need to not just be loved, but feel that love. Right? Are y'all with me? That's boys, girls, and that grows up into men and women have this longing uh, where we need to be and to feel loved. Um, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I'm sure many of you have studied this in school. I'm, uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. I'm not a huge proponent uh, because he's not coming at this from a Christian worldview. Uh, but he does, just like looking around in his study at humanity, uh, he would place uh, the need to be loved, you know, almost right alongside the need to have food and water and shelter because it's just so apparent Human beings need to be and to feel loved. Uh, and if we are not loved, some things, some very, very bad dysfunctions in our soul and our marriages and our society happen. Uh, one of two things happens. If, if a child comes onto the scene, and it's not just that a child needs to be loved, but they need to feel that love, right? They, they, they need both, and if that doesn't happen, it begins to create some dysfunctions that ends up in one of two places. Uh, this might... In fact, I hope that it does. This might resonate with you uh, on, on a pretty deep level. 
right? Because uh, we all have such very different stories and uh, such very different stories even of trying to be and to feel love. But if we don't get that, you'd normally go to one or one of two places. Uh, you normally decide, well, I'm going to go wherever I have to to get that need met. Uh, I'm going to do whatever I need to do and find whoever I need to find uh, where I will go and so that if somebody will love me because I have this need and that creates all sorts of dysfunctions in both boys and girls, men and women. Uh, boys that don't feel love normally turn out uh, statistically and psychologically, it says, to uh, be, shows a lot of signs of aggression, hostility, and acting out and just looking for some type of love that creates these problems. Uh, oftentimes, girls that don't feel loved uh, turn into very promiscuous um, women that are looking to be loved at any cost. That's one way that we, we run. Uh, the other way uh, is we just decide, you know what, I don't need to be loved. I don't, I don't, I don't need, I'll just try to turn that off and I'll become uh, calloused uh, and I'll become lonely and I don't need anyone. I'm not going to let anyone in uh, and it just kind of can create this, uh, th this, this cold and this lonely and this dysfunctional um, and obviously neither one of those are God's design. We were designed to be loved and I hope now that you're convinced just, just how important understanding love truly is. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. Um, I will admit we're going to be in a couple different places also, but that's just kind of the bedrock for what we're looking at um, this morning. Uh, and just real quick, because I know so many of you are brand new to the Bible, brand new to the faith. Uh, the book of Ephesians is called one of the pastoral uh, prison epistles. So the Apostle Paul had planted a church in a town called Ephesus, uh, and uh, he is writing back to them after he had planted their church and he had been gone for a while. He's actually probably in a prison cell in Rome, and he's still has, has a, a kind of a double heart for this church. Uh, he has a pastoral heart, um, but he also has a, a very fatherly heart that he knew a lot of these people was responsible for a lot of the people in this church for their, uh, their, their hearing of the gospel and becoming Christians. And he wanted to pastor them and shepherd them, uh, but he also had a really strong fatherly heart for them. Uh, and he's probably, you know, very, very potentially actually on his knees in a cold, damp, wet prison cell with some type of a quill pen with ink and parchment. So he's writing this letter to a church that he loves. And you'll see this in a moment when we jump in. But his fatherly pastoral heart is longing for them to have this, this deep sense of, of strength for whatever was ahead, for the difficulties that were ahead, persecution, we don't know all the details, but he desperately wanted these people he loved to end their soul to be strong, and he recognized that that was only going to come if they understand that they are loved by God. And so he kneels down and he says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And some of you may, again, you may reson re resonate with this because... Uh, maybe for, for much of your life, if you're honest, you, you recognize you have this deep longing and this deep need to be loved that maybe has, maybe hasn't really been met in a meaningful way. So maybe you would, you would connect with this, but Paul says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and you can picture him on his knees in a prison cell, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he's like appealing to like God, he, he, his, his, his glory and his ability to do something is, it's endless, it's inexhaustible. I'm, he's like, I'm pleading to the God of the universe who has an endless supply according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's like, I want, I just, I want you to be so strong all the way deep down in your core because, listen, if you're strong in your core, you're strong everywhere. If you have strength in your inner being, that's going to show up everywhere. And, and here's where he goes. That, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted, and if you're a circler, underliner, underliner highlighter, this is super important, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is on his knees begging, praying, asking that God might convince these people of his love for them that's a, a such a simple and yet a profound thing and a few things that I think we need to know from this passage about love uh, number one look back at verse 17 uh, Paul is begging for them to be rooted and grounded in love uh, so that that would ap apply to us as well like you, you need to be rooted and grounded in love, but not just love. Really, what he's talking about is the love of God for you. Okay. Uh, so, sometimes our our culture can get kind of kind of really close to some really important truths. Um, like a lot of times, even a non-Christian around Christmas time in our world would would kind of connect Christmas time and love. Um, but oftentimes they get so close, but it becomes more about kind of our love and like we need to be loving people and we need to be uh, gracious and we need to be generous. And we need to love our uh, friends and love our neighbors and love our spouses. And that's just not what's at the epicenter of of Christmas. Okay, what is at the epicenter? of Christmas is not our love for God, as important as that is, but it is God's love for us. I will tease that out in a moment because that is so helpful to know. But Paul says, like, you need to know, you need to be rooted and grounded in love because if you're rooted and grounded in God's love, then everything else kind of springs up from that. And if we're not, if we're rooted and grounded in anything else, even in our love for God, that's just not as sturdy and strong of a foundation to be rooted in, um, then a lot of things happen. Normally, in, if you're not rooted and grounded in the fact that God loves you, uh, you will have just uh, moments of insecurity. Well, that will, will pop up in all sorts of different places. Um, a deep sense of kind of a nagging loneliness, even in uh, rooms of people, even around people maybe that uh, that you love, if you don't have this rooted and groundedness in God's love, there will be a nagging uh, loneliness, uh, I think anger, ex anxiety, uh, bitterness, even depression, all of these things tend to, uh, tend to happen when we're not deeply rooted and grounded in God's love towards us. Um, second thing is it says you need to know the love of Christ. And there's something so interesting that Paul says here. Uh, basically, he says that our goal as a Christian, your goal is to know what is unknowable. Did y'all catch that? It's like, I want you to know the love of Christ that is beyond all knowledge and understanding, right? Uh, what is he saying? 
when he's saying, like, you need to be rooted and grounded in love, but you need to know the love of Christ, which is unknowable. What he's not saying is you need to know the love of Christ. And by the way, uh, you're not going to be able to. Like, like, that's not what he's saying. He's not asking us to, to truly know the love of Christ, but know that we won't ever understand it. Uh, what he's saying is that the love of Christ will always exceed your ability to understand it. Like you will never be able to plumb the depths of the love Christ has for you. That word know, there, there's some things uh, that get tricky uh, in, in, in translations from uh, Hebrew or Greek. Uh, which mo- most of the Old Testament is he- uh, Hebrew, most of the New Testament is Greek. When they get translated into English, sometimes we lose some things. Uh, and that word know is, is a little bit of one of, one of those tricky moments. Uh, because when we hear the word know, we think about knowing facts or knowing information. Or like, well, I know uh, calculus or I know algebra, or I know this fact. And that's not what's at the root of what Paul is asking us to do. What's at the root of that word uh, is a a relational experience, okay? Like to know something, to have believed and felt something, not just to be able to say, well, I I know uh, God loves me because of X, Y, Z, but it's a, a relational, experiential thing. For those of you uh, who might speak or know a bit of Spanish, there, there's two words in Spanish that mean no, right? One of them is informational-based. One of them is relational-based. This is translated in Spanish, conocer, which is the relational no. What, what does that mean? It's like it, it goes beyond your call as a Christian to just simply know true things, but to experience God's love. I was uh, meeting with a counselor uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, and they said something that uh, really resonated with me, and they said, this was a Christian counselor, uh, and they said, uh, really the goal of, of a human or, or the goal of a Christian is to learn how to be loved or to, to try to understand at a deep level how loved we are by God. And so many things in our past will keep us from doing that and from being able to embrace that will build up walls. But um, the healthiest Christian is someone who has learned what it truly means to be loved by God. Um, Two different uh, ways, I I think, that both this text and the one I'm about to read just kind of shows and displays God's love uh, for us, and I think they're both so incredibly important. One of them might be a little bit more um, focused on uh, in our culture, and so I think um, I think it's worthy of our time to think about both of them. Um, so, as I told you, 2006 decided, you know what, goodness gracious, I love Hannah, uh, got to work, bought a house, bought a ring, um, got engaged, uh, we got married, and then uh, a few months later, um, I recognized that we were kind of wired a little differently. I know it took me a while to catch up to that fact, but like I would leave the house, and she would say, I love you. I'd say, I love you too. And then I would take a step, oh, I forgot my keys, and I would go back, grab my keys, and then she'd say, I love you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you know, what, yeah, you just told me I still love you too. And, and I just kind of recognize, like, she, she needs to be loved every day. 
Some of you are like, how did you get so far in life being this dense? Uh, I would assume that this has probably popped up in most relationships, most marriages, where there's just maybe a difference in how often people need to feel loved. Uh, and I shared this with Hannah. I asked her permission yesterday uh, to share a little bit of this story. I said, don't worry. Like, you'll come out as the hero. I'll look kind of like the idiot in the story. Uh, but I realized, like, like, no, she doesn't just, I can't just point back to my, like, of course I love you. Go look at the marriage certificate. I signed it, right? Like, like there was a moment in time where I just declared, boom, once and for all, here's my certificate of love, and I will never show you any affection. I will never say it again. I'll just like, you know, 15 years later, she's like, I love you. I'm like, well, go look at the certificate, and you will be convinced that I love you too, right? That's just not how it works. Why? Because there's two different I don't know if types is the right word. Two types of love that are necessary for humans that you see both embedded deeply in the gospel. Okay, There's a moment and a commitment and a sacrifice of love. But then there is an ongoing ministry daily of being loved. And human beings, this is not just wives. This is every human being has a deep need and a sense for both. To have a moment where we know we have been accepted. Like, I, I have, I've now walked into a covenant where I am loved, but also I, I need to, to feel and be reminded of that daily. Y'all see those are both different, but they're both incredibly important. Um, I'm going to get to Romans chapter 5 here in a second, so if you want to, you can flip over there, or it will be here on the screen. Uh, and so the way that this plays out for uh, us as, as believers in the faith and how God's designed us to be loved by Him is this defining moment of love at the cross, uh, where, where it's just this moment where we were invited into this permanent covenant to be loved by God forever, but then you see that it doesn't end there. Okay, uh, it doesn't just end with this. Uh, now, now, just kind of move on with the rest of your life and never really feel God uh, loving you daily. Uh, and so, both Christ on the cross and Holy Spirit in your heart are necessarily, if you're going to be rooted and grounded in love and feel the love God has for you. Are y'all ready for Romans five? Romans five. I'm going to go verse one through eight. Both of these are, are in Ephesians 3, but both of these are, are probably teased out a little bit more in Romans chapter 5. Uh, Paul says this, therefore, since, we, and then he just talks about the, like the basic uh, history or biography or story of every Christian. This is, if you're a Christian, this is your story. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we're made right before God, not because of our good deeds and our resume, but because of our faith in Jesus and his his resume. We've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because, and here it is, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, words and translations matter, so give me a moment to talk about verb tenses. 
I know you get so excited when we start talking about verb tenses. Uh, there, there might be a tendency for some of you when we start talking about Greek and verb tenses to check out. Uh, don't do that, okay? This is so important what he just said. Because what he just said, that the verb is has been poured. God's love has been poured. That is past perfect tense. And we all know what that means, right? I'm just kidding. I had to study a bit this week. What, what, it, what does it mean to, for, for, for Paul to say like past perfect tense has been poured? It means this. Uh, it means it's a completed action that happened in the past that produces results that, results that are still in effect today. What does that mean? It means he loved you perfectly at the cross and he hasn't stopped. It's still ongoing. It's still happening every day, every moment. You need both. Right? You can't just say, well, we, we were married. Look, I told you I loved you at the ceremony and I signed the document. No, wake up the next morning and make sure that you love. Why? Because it's this ongoing thing. Past perfect sense, tense. It would be like the difference in, in just past tense. I would say, I, I was a pastor. Okay? Or I, I have been the pastor at Redeemer. I, I've been the teaching pastor at Redeemer. That means I, I still am and I'm still doing it. Listen to what Paul says about those who are in Christ. God's love has been poured, past tense, that is still going, hasn't stopped, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still sinners, still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What, what, a, what a beautiful truth. This is why I love the song, Oh, Come All Ye Unfaithful. Why? Because that's who Jesus died for. The unfaithful, the ungodly, not those that have it together. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you all see both of them in that text? Okay, th this this. This, for God so loved the world that we can look back at this defining moment of the cross. That, that's what he just said. Okay, Verses 6 through 8 is talking about God demonstrated his love in the greatest act of love and sacrifice that has ever been displayed. That Jesus died on the cross in the place of the ungodly. That's like wedding day. But then you also see in verse 5, that we just looked at, that he is continually pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so here's the way I would, I would phrase that. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. And because God so loved those who believed the gospel that he sent the Holy Spirit to apply that love every day. Do you all see how both of those are so important? A wedding day. Uh, when we got married, June... Second, 2007, right? That, that was a day um, that was not like the, it wasn't the end of our love story, right? It was like, okay, we got to the end. Now it's just, you know, downhill all the way. Like, like it's, it wasn't just like, okay, well, well that, that moment, that, 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 that moment in time, it just defines all the love Jason and Hannah will ever have for each other. Uh, it, there's, there's a way in which we can see that theologically uh, as the end of the search for love, but A, a, a wedding is not the end of the search for love. 
it is the end of the search for a person to love. Y'all with me? It should be the beginning of the love story. Like this, this moment in time that we're committed in a covenant relationship together. So what is the cross for you? It's not the end of the love story. It's the beginning of the story where now you are, are in a covenant relationship with God through Christ because of the cross that now God sends the Holy Spirit to make sure that you're reminded often every day of the love God has for you. It's only, it's, it's only growing, right? The cross is really in some sense the, the beginning of this relationship that we need. You need to know about the cross. You need to embrace the cross. You need to understand what Jesus did for you at the cross, that that was a demonstration of his love for you. And once you accept that, then God sends the Holy Spirit to remind you. Isn't this what Paul says in Romans? He says that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to consent, consistently remind us that we are children of God, adopted by God, that we have a Father that loves us. Every day you need to know that. Every day I need to know that. It's not just a moment in history. It's that moment in history opened up the door for us to be loved by the Father. The greatest command, I think this is worth two minutes on. We looked at it a second ago. The greatest command, when the lawyer asked you, what's the greatest command? He said, like the greatest thing you should do is to love God and love people. But that is not the greatest truth. Okay? That's the greatest command that you're like, what should I do? If that's your question, what should I do? The answer is love God, love people. But the greatest truth is what underlies that. It's that God loves you. The greatest truth is what drives our ability to love God and to love people. Our, our love of God and people is a response to what? To God's love towards us. That's what started it all. Do you remember, maybe this applies to you, maybe it doesn't, but um, maybe you were dating somebody in the past and you were thinking, I think I love them, but, but it's kind of risky if I say it, because I don't know how they're feeling. Like if I say, if I, oh, I love you, and they're like, you too, you know, or it's like you're kind of just throwing yourself out there if you're the first one. And so, like, this, God takes the initiative. He's the first one to just, not just say, but demonstrate, I, I love you. And then we get the chance to respond, oh, I, I love you too. J.D. Greer says this. He says, awareness of the depth of the love of God for us is what produces passionate love for God in us. We cannot obey the greatest command unless we understand we are loved by God. Uh, I'm going to let the Apostle John have the last few words this morning, because as we have talked about, uh, Paul oftentimes, he would be looked at as the Apostle of faith. He's talking about all the time, beating the drum of faith in Christ. Uh, Peter would be the Apostle of, of hope. He talks about hope all the time. John is the Apostle of love. And in 1 John chapter 4, so the apostle of love, like he, he's kind of the, the, the spokesperson for love. And he says this, 
in this, and he, he would be the first one to tell you, hey, you should probably love God and love people. That, that's the two most important commands. But he, but he gets underneath that to tell us what's driving that. He says this in 1 John, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. One very interesting thing about John. His entire identity as a human being, as a man, as a Christian, was wrapped up in this concept of love. But it was not wrapped up in his love for God, okay? Some of y'all know how, how, how John referred to himself, and it's such a powerful thing. He didn't refer to himself as like, I am John, and I am the disciple who loves Jesus. He didn't sound like, that, that didn't define him. He was defined, and still is, as John, the apostle who Jesus loved, If you become a student of John the Apostle, you find out his life was so radically changed just simply by the fact, he's like, yes, Jesus loves me. He was a recipient of God's love, and that's what changed everything for him, the disciple who Jesus loved. Two last things. How powerful is the Advent of God's love. How, how powerful is this love that God has for the world and this love that God has for you? On a, on a macro scale, the love of God has changed the course and the scope of planet Earth like nothing ever has or ever will. Like, like what, what has happened on planet Earth, this movement of Christianity, of people that are, 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 are in this movement of, of, of loving and, and serving and being disciples of Jesus, it has, has, is more responsible for changes on the planet, for equality for women, for equality for slaves, for economics, for freedom, for uh, sexuality, for uh, family, for law, for uh, all these things. Christ, this movement of Christianity is most responsible for changing in a good way planet Earth. That's been driven by the love of God. He's changing the globe, okay? But on, on, a, on an interesting note, Napoleon, who there's a little bit of um, um, just debate over whether towards the end of Napoleon's life he converted to Christ. He definitely was wrestling through and thinking about some things, and he said this. Uh, he said, I, uh, I built a kingdom on force. He says, but Jesus built a kingdom on love that he could get people to do things for him because he could put them to death. He had force. But what God has done on planet Earth is not through threat of force. It's through his, his, his love for the world that has driven this massive movement. So like God's love has changed the Earth. Second thing is that God's love can change you. And you need two things. Jesus Christ on the cross in your place. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, you maybe for the first time need to embrace that. Just simply don't worry about loving, don't worry about doing, don't worry about giving. Before any of that, you need to receive the love of God that was demonstrated and given at the cross. And for those who do, you say, 
Thank you, Jesus. I, 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 you died for me. I confess my sin. I confess my need for you. Please em, em, forgive me. Embrace me. I'll, uh, make me belong. Like for those who do then, God sends his spirit to consistently apply and remind every day that God loves you. That is at the bedrock, at the basis of everything we need as believers to be reminded and convinced that God loves us. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning, I beg you that you might help us to know and to feel the love and the pleasure and the acceptance that God has for us. Not because of who we are and what we've done, but just simply because you are a God of incredible love. God, someone in this room this morning needs to know that they are loved by God. Someone needs to feel daily that they are loved by God. Probably that's all of us. So I pray that um, you might confront each of us with, with your love at the cross. And I pray that you might help us to accept and to embrace salvation through the cross and your love that is unmerited and unearned. God, and I pray that you might remind us that your spirit has come to pour out the love of Christ in our hearts because we need it every day. Would you strengthen us in our inner being with the love of Christ that cannot ever be fully exhausted. Help us to know the love that is unknowable. God, I pray this morning that you would stir us up just towards a sense and identity that we are a loved people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.